from the Rocky Top Insider Studios, it's the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Jumper, and Jack Foster. All right, and welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Today is Wednesday, April the 19th. Right to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Right across the table, that is Jack Foster. We got a full crew back in studio, and we got a big-time episode here for you with a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football on the horizon. We got plenty to get into. Gentlemen, right at the table, hello, good afternoon, good morning, whatever it is. How are y'all doing? Doing well. Doing well. It's, uh, as I, I was, I think I said, Jack and I recorded our baseball podcast right before, and I think I said, uh, I'm battling the spring allergies uh, to start, but doing well besides that. And you walking in here has made me feel better about the spring allergies because I'm not, I'm not battling it nearly as bad as you are right now. I'm miserable. <laughs> Just There's I'm, no getting around it. No. Not a happy I, camper. I, I, I don't even have a joke to make or anything. Like I am stone cold and miserable. This is this is three weeks now. You know when when I remember telling somebody a, a year or two back, I was like, "Hey, look, I, I I have never met anybody that that gets hit harder with springtime allergies than me." And they're like, "That's a little pretentious of you to say. Like that, you, you're really throwing yourself up on the top tier there." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. This isn't like I'm not saying that I'm the best pickup football player in in the city. I'm not saying I'm the best." Madden player in the city or 2K player in the city. This is not a humble brag. Like this is this is not something you want to be at the top of. I I, I was saying that I I was uh, you know going through it worse than anybody else, but I, I still stand by that to this day. It is uh, it's it's been a it's been a tough spring uh, to say the least. Well, I hate to see you this way, Rick. I, it it pains me, but I hope you I hope you rebound soon, and I hope it gets better. But yeah, we just recorded baseball pod, hopped over on the other side of the table, and ready to talk some hoops and some football. A lot of news going down here in the off season. Yeah, you guys have the full trifecta going, don't you? A little yeah. bit of baseball. Now we jump over to basketball and football, huh? That's Absolutely. right. Well, we got a we got a couple of big things to get into today. Um, going back to last weekend, that was the Tennessee football orange and white game. That'll be what we start talking about today. Just kind of our takeaways, our thoughts, the highlights, the uh, the 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 outcome of the game, whatever we want to get into regarding the Tennessee football orange and white game, just kind of wrap up the spring slate of football. We'll talk a little bit of recruiting as well, but speaking of recruiting, we definitely want to go over and talk about Tennessee basketball as well. Tuesday was a big day for Tennessee basketball as not only do they land a recruit from the transfer portal and a very familiar name at that, but they also announced the, the return of a big-time name, sen- super senior Santiago Vescovi. He will be returning to the team, so plenty to get into today on both the, fast, uh, the basketball and the uh, football fronts. Definitely. Uh, huge news uh, on the basketball side of things. It's funny. It was an extremely quiet, it had been extremely quiet offseason to date. And then it's like boom, boom! In two hours, there's, yeah, there it is. There it is. Two big pieces of news, uh, and well, obviously one of them with Vescovy is something that you know we've been waiting on. Uh, that what he is going to do. It seemed like it was trending in the direction towards him coming back for a couple weeks, but you never know until you you know for sure. And that certainly uh, provides a little bit more clarity on what Tennessee's roster will look like. And we'll get all into all that in back half. But uh, obviously, plenty of Tennessee football from the Orange and White game to get to as well. Kind of putting a bow on spring practice. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, not necessarily a ton of takeaways, as there are a lot of 
players that weren't playing in the orange and white game that will play in the fall, right? So we got to yeah. look at some other guys. So you have to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt, but there were certainly some takeaways, including Nico Yamaleava and defensive players for sure, such as Arian Carter, Jalen Smith, stuff like that. So I'm sure we'll get into all that. But Santiago Vescovi cannot overstate how big this is for Tennessee. Yeah, no doubt. 58,473 people attended the Tennessee football orange and white game on Saturday. That is a massive number. And just if you were not be able to, if you were not in attendance for the game or anything like that, and you weren't able to walk around, man, it felt like a fall Saturday out there. You, oh, yeah. you walk around, you see the uh, the tailgates or, or the big parking lot parties or the festivals or whatever else it might have been. It, it was certainly a uh, a beautiful day on Saturday, a huge turnout, and something interesting that I was looking at was, you know, according to I believe it's R.J. Young for Fox Sports, he he was kind of. Uh, I think he tweeted out the the spring game numbers from the weekend and just in terms of uh, attendance. And not everybody had their spring game last weekend. Others have had it earlier in the spring as well. But out of the ones that Tennessee was up against basically last weekend, Tennessee had the third highest total just behind Ohio State and Penn State. So number one in the SEC for the weekend, had a massive turnout, and that 58,000 number is about 18,000 more than Vanderbilt's First Bank Stadium holds in yeah. general. So that kind of puts into perspective just how many people were there for that spring game and, and how many people are excited about just the direction of Tennessee football. No, it's funny. I was I actually walked to the game from the fort, which is where I live, and I'm coming down 16th, crossing Cumberland to go, you know, to Neyland. And I just see a sea of orange and white people, you know, orange and white. And the concert's going on. I'm like, man, is this a fall game? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it wasn't like an Alabama or Florida atmosphere, of course, but it felt like a Bowling Green atmosphere or a Ball State atmosphere. Yeah. It felt like a regular season game. And, of course, I don't know how the ticketing situation worked out with the south end of the stadium. I don't know if they just didn't sell those or what, but, man, there was a ton of people there. Great turnout. Sixth highest turnout in orange and white game history for Tennessee. So people are definitely excited. Yeah, and obviously I think that was one of like two of the top ten or whatever that they sold tickets for, that attendance wasn't free. So, And, and yeah, yeah, I was going to bring up uh, the South End Zone thing, and I think it was they're doing construction there yes. right now, so they it, couldn't it have anybody. It was specifically closed off. Yeah, so they, they could have had more. Yes, but I will say, and I don't know if they would have had more. Well, I think they just would have been distributed differently. And uh, I yeah. think that right. was... While it was not, this wasn't the reason it was done. I think that was a great call. Yeah, because they were able to, like, they were able to park a photographer in the south end zone and yes. take pictures the other way, and it made the stadium look like there was seventy five thousand people and it there. Made, it kind of forces you people. into the second level yeah, as well, like right? Second, not just the lower bowl. Yeah, obviously I wasn't there, but just from watching on the TV or watching on my laptop, it seemed like maybe the second level wasn't completely full, but it wasn't like it was. People from top to this second level to the bottom kind of equally dispersed. So yeah. well, it, it was, was a good turnout there. It was as pretty well. impressive, too, because, you know, something that Ryan does before all the football games and basketball as well, but he posts a, a big panoramic of the of the crowd shot, right? Just a couple yeah. minutes before the game starts. And I did that as well. I posted one about 10 minutes before the game start. But man, then about five minutes into the first quarter, I look back up and it's even more full. I mean, drastically different than that picture was that was taken exactly 10 minutes before the start of the game. So certainly a, maybe a little bit of a late arriving crowd, but Definitely. a ton of people were there uh, and, and it was a really good atmosphere. Now, we do talk about all the people that were there at the game, but what about the people that were playing in the game? Not necessarily, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we say a ton of people because 
man, one of the big stories and one of the big takeaways from the game was just the sheer number of inactive players for Tennessee. And it was kind of a jarring number, I think. On one hand, a lot of them were starters. I believe it was right around 25. And there are a couple players who, who may have suited up, may have gotten in the game a little bit. But, for instance, Dylan Sampson only got three carries. To yeah. me, you know, he, he kind of maybe fell a little bit more on the inactive side Definitely. than active as well. But, and you know, Squirrel White catching two punts. Squirrel White as yeah. well, right? He, you know, he, he was listed as an active. He got in a couple of punts, but that was about it. To me... That did make it difficult to judge some areas, but it also gave plenty of guys the opportunity to come in and really kind of make some highlight-worthy plays. So certainly to me, though, that was really one of the biggest starting points. Just uh, there were a lot of players that Tennessee fans are going to be used to seeing in the starting lineup coming up this fall, but just weren't not there in the orange and white game last weekend. It was definitely one of the biggest you know things you have to mention and, and take it to note. and. That was what I was going to say. I don't think Josh Heupel likes spring games very much. And <laughs> no. addition to Tennessee's top four receivers not playing, and I think Brew McCoy would have been the only one that couldn't have play, wouldn't Correct. have played if it was an actual game. Jalen Wright and Jabari. Well, we knew Jabari Small wouldn't play. He probably wouldn't have played if it was an actual game either. But Jabari Small and Jalen Wright don't play. And Dylan Sampson gets three carries. So even you know Sampson, who was completely healthy, completely available, very limited workload. It's your top seven position players right there. Yeah, exactly. and and even. You see why when Ethan Davis, I'm sure we'll talk about his performance and injury in a little bit, but he goes down injured. It's like, that's why you don't have it. And uh, the other thing I was going to say on that is, and obviously it's not a game and they're managing things the way they want to, um, but Tennessee will not play a half of football this fall that is shorter than the full spring game was. I mean, it was 90 minutes and it was Yeah, it was so quick. Halftime included. It was 90 minutes from the time they started to the time they were done. And we know Tennessee plays long games. They probably won't play half. It's that short all season. Yeah, I think they even did a couple huddles. And uh, some people in the press were like, what is going on? You know? (laughs) But yeah, definitely something you're not going to see a lot. And of course, a lot of players inactive. But, you know, Ethan Davis, you talk about guys like that it gives them the opportunity to showcase their abilities we saw Caleb Webb make a great catch yeah. and, um, of course Nico got a couple of good throws in there and then defensively uh, some of the young guys so let's talk about Ethan Davis for a second of course you know incoming big recruit tight end receiving tight end first more so than a blocking yeah. tight end something Tennessee hasn't necessarily had because Princeton Fant was a little different right he's kind of a unicorn but yeah Ethan Davis <laughs> good, good way to describe it led Tennessee in receiving in the orange and white game and then goes down at the end of the fourth quarter and at to your point, this is why stars don't play in NFL preseason. This is why stars don't play in Tennessee spring football games. But Ethan Davis did because he's a freshman and fortunately gets hurt. But I think his injury won't be too serious. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the good thing about the spring game is that you got three months until practice starts and four months till you start playing games. So yeah, but it is big for a guy like Davis who's a freshman and was one of the most impressive guys, one of the guys I was most impressed by all spring. And again. Spring practice, we're watching 20 minutes out there, so there's, and it's really mainly just routes on air. So mm. there's only so many conclusions you can draw. So it was really good to see him go out there and look really good in a spring game, in, in the in just a scrimmage, but in a scrimmage nonetheless. Um, and you're seeing him, you're like, yeah, this is a guy that's going to help Tennessee this fall. And yeah. so I do think from that aspect, the injury is you know tough. Even if he's going to be back in time, he's going to miss all those chances to get better and progress. Mm. And but I will say, to me, the, you know, the only question with him is just. This year, can he hold up blocking? Tight, good tight ends in high school, they don't block. And while Davis is bigger than I expected, and I think gives him a better chance uh, of being in a you know a serviceable blocker, that's still going to be a question. But if he can do that, if he 
And he won't be Tennessee's best blocking tight end by any means, but if he can just hold his own uh, on the field as a, a blocking tight end, he's going to play a lot because he has an element in the, the receiving game that the rest of Tennessee's tight ends just don't have. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you see that catch he made um, down at the north end zone uh, inside the 10? And Nico threw it kind of high, and he yeah. just snared it. Uh-huh. I was like, that's a player who can play in the SEC. Yeah. yeah. He's, again, it's just like a different – and Princeton fan, you know, had a really good season, but he's it's just a different skill set that Tennessee yeah, has not had. Yeah, Princeton fans an NFL fullback type of guy. Yeah, right. like a, jo- a Jakob Johnson, that yeah. one of those type of things. So, uh, it, yeah, it's just a different skill set. And even if he plays this year, I'm sure he won't have a massive role, but it's hard not to look at what he can do, see a guy like Jonathan Eccles, who's a huge recruit that's yeah. going to come in next year as a tight end and be like, huh, we haven't really seen this element of Josh Heupel's offense uh, where they get the tight ends involved. And it's going to be you know interesting going forward to see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of see the other SEC teams kind of moving towards this as well. I mean, Georgia's been so dominant with all these tight ends. It's, you know, Tennessee, if they incorporate the tight end more, they'll just be a more complete offense. Yeah. That's something that I was thinking about coming out of the game, too, is that, you know, even thinking about last year's offense, we know that Tennessee was a throwing the ball team, but we also know that that was set up by the running game, right? They wanted to have a strong and balanced running game to then set up the pass game. I do wonder if in some ways what the spring game told us was that we could see a little bit more different wrinkles added into Tennessee's offense this year. For instance, let's again go back to the 2022 numbers. Tennessee had the number five passing team in the country and the number 26 rushing team in the country. So both of those numbers combined were very, very good, and it ended up with the number one scoring offense in the country. Now, I do think that maybe even you get to a situation where those numbers are maybe not necessarily flipped, but maybe at least a, a good bit closer, right? Maybe the running game is up in the top ten this year if Tennessee's offensive line can really hold strong and find a group of five that work well together. Maybe the passing game drops back into the mid-20s or so, but maybe you're using your tight end a little bit more. And, Ryan, I definitely agree with what you said. You know, yes, Ethan Davis now has to not only recover from that injury, but Tennessee also has Jacob Warren that's going to be a starting tight end as well. So maybe that's in the next couple of years that continues to develop as well. But I do wonder if, if you get that sense from the spring game of, hey, we still know that we're going to see a very dynamic Tennessee offense this year, but maybe we see a little bit more wrinkles thrown in. Or, or maybe at least it's dynamic in different ways, and maybe it's more led by the running game than it was last year. So that was at least one of the things that I took away from the spring game, just by looking at players such as Ethan Davis, Cam Selden. And I know, again, those aren't going to be Tennessee's reliant guys this mm-hmm. year. And who knows? They might barely play by the time the, the the fall season rolls around. But I just think that looking at what they were doing in the offense, that was kind of what, what, what was told to me, at least, from watching on the field. Well, you call them wrinkles. I think they're necessary if sure. Tennessee doesn't want to have a huge offensive drop-off. You know, because Joe Milton isn't Hendon Hooker, and you're not going to have a Jalen Hyatt-type season. So in order to you know, replace that production elsewhere and become a more complete offense, you have to have those wrinkles, as you're saying, more t- yeah. more use out of the tight end, a better running game. So if Tennessee is going to have an offense that is even close to as good as the 2022 Tennessee offense, they have to be more complete. Yeah, definitely. And I think a guy that, you know, kind of probably less opportunity than Ethan Davis, but again, a guy you watch and are like, man, this is going to be super intriguing in the future is Cameron Seldon. 100%. He'll... One of the freshman running backs will get chances at some point this season because Tennessee uses three running backs in every game, and it's unlikely that they'll go through the season with all three of those running backs staying healthy. So there will be opportunities for someone, whether that be Deshaun Bishop or Cam Seldon, heck, maybe even Khalif Keefe once he gets here. Yeah. Makes some huge charge and becomes that fourth guy. 
but just the way that you can use Cam Seldon as a pass catcher added into the backfield. I was surprised that they had so many of those wrinkles already, you know, that they could go to already. I was sure. surprised they'd put all that stuff, and I'm sure they'll put in more as he gets older and becomes a bigger part of the offense, but I was surprised they had so many things that they could use with him in the pass game already. So it was good to see him get a workload, and he's such a freak athlete and talented guy that just hasn't really had a position didn't really have a position in high school because he played at a little bit lower classification and because kind of the do-it-all guy and we didn't know if he played receiver or running back and he's obviously starting at running back and I think they just need to keep him at running back I think it's a guy that yeah let him play one position and let him get as good as he can at right. that position and then you know once he's a junior or whatever and you want to use him in different ways and maybe try him in the slot you know you can do that but uh, I think right now it's like just get him as force feed him as many reps as you can at running back, see how good he can get because, man, that ceiling's high and the things that you can use use him with offensively, uh, the the limits are there's – there's no there's no, no limits, limit. I guess. Is what unlimited. I'm, it's, it's unlimited. That's what I'm trying to say. Unlimited limits. Like Russell Wilson. Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, unlimited. So something that, that I, I, I give credit to the ESPN announcers for, but I will also say I had this thought myself. Now, did I say it on the microphone? No. Did I write it down? No. But I promise you I had this thought originally. So if you didn't get to watch the game because it was on ESPN Plus and you didn't hear the announcer say this, well, then I am going to take credit for it. Something I wrote about earlier this week, though, and something, again, the announcer said was Cam Seldon kind of has a little bit of Cordero Patterson yeah. in this game. And we tweeted that out, and I can't remember if it was a Twitter comment or a Facebook comment or what it was, but somebody said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump the brakes and not compare anybody to a general generational player like Cordero Patterson. And I get that to an extent. But then you kind of start to look at it, right? And you're like, okay, well, they're both six foot two. They're both a little bit over 200 pounds, so they have really good size to their game. They're both very flexible in terms of what they can do position-wise, playing both wide receiver and running back. We know that for Cordero, the running back position kind of more came to fruition late into his NFL career, and boy, look at what he's been able to do in Atlanta the last couple years from that. But we know that they're both familiar with both positions, and then again, we both know, we, we know that they're both freaks of nature with the ball in their hands. So I think that they're very dynamic guys who have a very good size to their game, who can maybe even get some mismatch in certain spots, but who can just run wild across the field. I do think that there's a little bit of Cordero Patterson to the game of Cam Seldon, at least from what we've seen early on. Yeah, I think there's it's easy to draw that comparison. Like there's definitely similarities. Cordero Patterson And Cordero Patterson is a freak. Yeah, right? he, so like, he was just amazing. so special. It, it is, it is what, hard to compare. And I know yeah. that is a big leap to make. But again, just when you when you ask when you when I look at it, the size lines up, the positions line up. And just the the freak of nature abilities line up. To me, that's a that's a pretty good comparison right there. Yeah, Cordell Patterson was just, and it's been this way in the NFL too, but especially Tennessee was just so special with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. Like he could, and you go back and watch the highlight tape. I mean, some of those plays, one against Mississippi State, I can think of another against Georgia, where it's like there's nothing there, and then it's boom, it's thirty yeah. yard gain. Yeah, I mean, he has the longest play in NFL history too. Yeah, that's right. So, so. It, it, he has just like a special playmaking ability with the ball in his hand that. I think is where, you know, it's like you can't put that on Cameron Seldon to have that. Like very exactly. few people in the world have that ability Cordero Patterson has. But at the same time, the skill sets are similar. The builds are similar. And I think especially that he's starting to play running back from day one in college. And heck, Cordero Patterson was a junior college guy. He only spent a year at Tennessee. It's hard not to think that Seldon's ceiling is higher in some areas, like running between the tackles and true running back skills that Patterson – has some naturally of, but he hasn't really been trained in. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Patterson, it took him 
eight, nine years yeah. to even catch on as a legit offensive playmaker, right? He was just a special teams guy. But granted, the best kick returner in all of football, but you know, it took him a minute until he got to Atlanta and a scheme that fit him with Arthur Smith. But anyway, yeah, I think, you know, people will maybe take a Cordero Patterson comparison out of context a little bit. But as long as you take into account what Ryan's saying, like, yes, obviously he's not going to be as good as the ball in his hands. But, Rick, you na- you hit the nail on the head with all your comparisons as far as Cam Seldon, Cordero Patterson. Tennessee has their own little wide back, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it right there. Just a guy who's going to be really fun to see how they plug and play him over the course of the next few years. Let's talk about the quarterbacks a little bit. And to me, when you start this conversation, it does go back to what we talked about at the beginning of this whole conversation in general, just with the inactive players. Yes, Joe Milton was out there. Yes, he had Dylan Sampson lined up next to him for a couple of runs. But at the end of the day, you don't have McCoy, Thornton, uh, Keaton, um, Squirrel White, Jalen Wright, whoever else it, it might be. You didn't have those kind of players. So when I look at the quarterbacks, when I look at their numbers, Joe Milton, 9 of 13 for 79 yards and one touchdown. That was a four-yard pass to Caleb Webb. Nico Iamaliava, 8 of 16 for 112 yards. And then Gaston Moore, who clearly is stepping up as Tennessee's starting quarterback for the fall, 8 of 11, 94 yards and two touchdowns. I'll kind of go backwards a little bit. Gaston Moore, uh, like Josh Heupel said after the game, it was just good to see him. Uh, you know, seems like this is the most work that he's had since he's since he's been here at Tennessee, just in terms of the depth of the quarterback room. So certainly good that they're seeing a little bit of progression out of him. I don't think he's going to see the field, obviously, in I case mean, of big-time emergency uh, well, coming up this year. Well, when you think about it, he's only a couple plays away from seeing the field. Yeah, yeah I mean, that is true. Bad plays for Tennessee away from seeing the field. So, yeah, I think it's encouraging to see Gastamore play this well in the spring game. As far as Nico goes, again, 8 of 16, 112 yards, he did have an interesting comment after the game. He said he was not nervous heading into the game. I didn't really sense nerves, but I did sense the fact that he got a little bit more comfortable as the game went on. I think a lot more of his highlights and a lot more of the better plays that you saw from him on the day came right there in the second half. And maybe some of that was competition on the field, maybe what it was, you know, depending on what it was. But I do think that, hey, you know, he took those first couple of drives front of 60,000 people, your first time in Neyland Stadium with all the fans around you. Yeah, you got to get a little bit comfortable, and then you continue to work from there. So I thought he, he progressed well throughout the day and probably had the best play of the day uh, with that oh, pass to Ethan Davis on the sideline. It felt like he was playing safe, right, the first couple of drives. It's not like he yeah. was – it's not like they, it was getting to him as far as he was overthrowing guys or just making terrible plays. He was just playing uber, uber safe and wasn't, you know, putting his talent on display, if you will. But as the game went on, as Rick said – he started to take a little bit more chances, and they paid off. Most of them did anyway. And uh, that Ethan Davis play, I mean, that's a five-star throw. That is a five-star throw. That's an NFL throw. Yeah. And it was a good catch, too. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it wasn't an easy one by it any means. It did just a little bit, yeah. I think one thing, and this is such, such a spring game observation <laughs> that I was impressed with with Nico, and it, it's even, it's just, it sounds so silly to say because there's literally no contact, but I, I liked his pocket presence a little no, bit. Yeah. Like, it felt like he – just had a good internal clock of when he needed to move in the pocket. And, again, he's not getting hit, so it's a little bit different. And, and you know, it's hard to say some of those times he evades the pocket, whether, you know, the def- defenders are going 100% at him, maybe they make you know, make the play. But uh, it just felt like he had a good mental clock, and uh, obviously that's, that's something that – is very important for quarterback. Play. Yeah, and he looked really fluid getting out of the pocket. He did. Just the, the when he would roll out, it's just a couple of nice, long, smooth steps. Yeah. There's not a lot of hesitation. There's not a lot of 
kind of, you know, stuttering of the feet. He just takes a couple of those long strides out, keeps his shoulder square, is able to be able to put them in the right position when he wants to make his throw. I was impressed by that as well. I, I thought that he did have a good ability to get outside the pocket. And you're right, you know, he had guys coming after him, and he knew those guys weren't necessarily going to hit him. So what does that look like when you do have some 300-pound, you know, just absolute linemen or, or, or huge dudes barreling down at you? But to your point, I, I do agree. I, I came away impressed with his uh, pocket awareness and mobility, and I think that was actually one of the more positive takeaways that people had in general from his game. Yeah, I, so I think so. I, I think you're, you are not alone in that boat. I think that's a really good observation. I think it was important for Nico to show this, you know, because it, it kind of felt to me in the spring that he – it, it was a little underwhelming. I'm not saying that I expected Nico to come out and just ball out in the spring because obviously it takes time, but I think this is probably the best we've seen Nico all offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's At just, times, anyway. Yeah, it's just hard to say because... I mean, from what we, we've, we've seen. We see so little exactly, in practice. But yeah. from what we've seen. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't like he just lit the world on fire and made you think, oh, quarterback controversy or anything, you know. He, but he's he, definitely not behind is what I'm saying. He's no, not behind no, no, the no. eight ball. No, I agree with that. Yeah. It's not like you're like, wow, I was this guy a five-star recruit or anything yeah. like that watching him. You know, he made a few mistakes. He threw – he made a misread on that route tree in the goal goal line or in the red zone. We should have should have thrown the underneath and he threw the fade. It could have been intercepted. He had one play where he scrambled a little too long and kind of missed a guy coming open over the middle. So it wasn't all perfect, but uh, yeah. I would say more positives than negatives. And and the same thing we'll say about Joe here just in a in a second. But at the end of the day, too, there weren't a ton of opportunities to see him, and that's just kind of the way that the game played out. I, I think really only twice in the day did Nico have a a drive. Maybe maybe two to three, maybe even four times. Did he have a drive of five or more plays? And then once he get up to eight or more plays, I believe that was only two on the day. So there weren't a ton of times to see him. Of course, you, you could see him throughout on the field. But that's, again, kind of the same notion that I got with Joe Milton as well. I, I, I like what I saw from him. Um, I didn't think that there was you're really able to see too much. I think he was working with a couple of wide receivers that we're not going to see a ton of this year coming up, just based on what we said about all the inactives. But at the end of the day, they really didn't even play him that much in the second half. I think looking at it, he had the second drive, and that was it. So only took one drive in the second half. The second half took like 20 minutes in, in total <laughs> with two running 10-minute clocks, and boy, were they running at that too. So you didn't see a ton of Joe. Again, just 9 from 13. Hard to make uh, big assessments, but – Really, that was kind of the guy that I was looking at the most in, in terms of who's going to be the most important player on the field for, for Tennessee this year. I know that people want to talk about Nico and want to talk about some of these new young players, and, and that's what a lot of spring is for. But at the end of the day, this team is going to be, you know, this team is going to be is going to go how Joe Milton goes in, in a lot of ways. So uh, that was certainly the, the player that I was had my eyes on the most uh, on Saturday. I can't remember who it was that I was listening to talk about, or it was they were discussing. What are the biggest? What's the biggest question mark for Tennessee next year? And it was, you know, to talk about offensive line and secondary, and you know, all those things are question marks. But sure, it's not a hot topic to talk about because we know he's going to be a starter. But the biggest question mark for Tennessee football next year is how Joe Milton plays. Yes, it is. Quarterback's the most important position, all the more so at Tennessee with the emphasis they put on it in this offense and how much pressure is put on the offense to score. We don't know what Joe Milton's going to look like. We just don't. It's been a wide range of what we've seen from him. Obviously, he played well in the Orange Bowl, but even then it wasn't perfect. Whatever it was, seven or eight drives that were three and outs. So that's, you know, we won't get a whole lot of answers there until they take the field against Virginia. And, heck, I'll say we won't get a whole lot of answers until they go down to Gainesville to play Florida week three. Yeah. But that's that's question number one for Tennessee football. Joe Milton, more than anybody else, will dictate how this team goes. Yep. I, I totally agree. You know, and again, I, I think there's going to be a lot of storylines around other players, and 
you know, again, Nico has gotten a lot of the storylines of the spring so far, but at the end of the day, he he's not going to be the starting quarterback when, when Tennessee takes on Virginia to start the season. It will be Joe Milton. There's going to be a lot on Joe Milton's shoulders, and he does have a lot of responsibility in leading this Tennessee team. So that is certainly a, a player that I will be uh, watching very closely over the next couple months and just as Tennessee gets ready for this fall season coming up. Let's flip sides to the defense real quick and just a couple of players that I wanted to mention in general, but... You know, one player that impressed me towards the end of the game, and look, we, we know that Tennessee's been going for about four weeks now, spring camp. It's been a grind. It's been cold practices. They've had hot practices. They've had two scrimmages in Neyland Stadium without fans. Then they had their orange and white game with fans. So it has been a long four-week stretch for this team, and they knew that right on the other side of the spring game was going to be kind of that that exit point, right? And I'm not saying that players were looking for that moment, but of course, right, you know when spring camp is going to end right after the spring game. So to me, I wanted to know who was making those hustle plays in the second half of that game, right? After everything they've been through throughout these four weeks, throughout all the practices, all the scrimmages, knowing that you're just minutes away from spring camp being over. One of the players that really stood out to me was Omar Norman Lott, and that was the transfer defensive lineman from Arizona State. And I do think that Tennessee's starting defensive line is fairly set right now just with returning players that we know of, whether it's your Bryson Thomas, your your uh, excuse me, Bryson Eason, Amari Thomas, whoever's going to be on the edge right there. But I do think that Omar Norman Lott, man, could be a potent, could be a potentially impactful piece for Tennessee this year. He, he made a couple of nice plays uh, in both the run-stomping game and the pass-rush game uh, in that orange-and-white game. And again, that was late into the game. So that's somewhere where I felt like, hey, that's a part, that's a place where you could see players potentially backing off a little bit just as everything's coming to a conclusion. But he, I really feel like, stepped it up a, a couple snaps in the second half and uh, stood out to me. So Omar Norman Lott, a, a transfer that could uh, pay dividends for Tennessee coming up this year. I yeah. think defense line as a whole was just impressive or what yeah. you want to see because, yeah. you know, we just mentioned it. Offensive line's a big question mark and all the more so when you get to the second offensive line and you – Every team in America has or should have much better depth on their defensive line than their offensive line. So I thought, you know, Tennessee's second team defensive line dominated or, or controlled the line of scrimmage against Tennessee's second offensive line like they should. And, and that shows that Tennessee has depth. And I, I thought it was a good sign. Yeah, I, w- I wish I remember <clears throat> who was starting on the interior of the offensive line when Norman Lott had those back to back. He stuffed a run for like yes lost yeah, it to, yeah. and then he sacked yes. the quarterback the next that's play that's exactly course, what i was thinking sacking of. yeah quotes, but yeah i can't remember his playing the interior of offensive mm-hmm. line but norman lodge just bulldozed right through him it yes was, he did it was a snap of the fingers yeah so it was uh <laughs> it was pretty impressive any other thoughts though on the orange and white game just what you saw maybe what you like maybe anything else that we haven't talked about so far oh uh, i mean you talk about the we've talked a lot about the linebackers so far and talk about just being really good from the start of this four-week grueling stretch until now is Arian Carter, yeah. Elijah Herring, guys that have continued to produce and that haven't missed a step throughout the spring have continued to gotten better. Both have showcased the ability to, you know, make interceptions and practice, and then Aaron Carter had a big sack in Saturday's game. So, you know, these are two guys that maybe not they're going to start for Tennessee, but that will definitely contribute, and they've had good camps. Yeah, Aaron Carter looked the part, didn't he? Like yeah. He was, yeah, he does. He's physically, you know, when you get out in the practice field, he looks the part, and he didn't by no means look lost. You know, he looked like not that he was flawless and didn't make a mistake, but he played with confidence and, and was around the ball a lot and was impressive. And, and like you said, Jack, I think he's a guy that's going to be in the rotation this fall at linebacker. And of all the young cornerbacks, 
and I didn't like keep vi- like detailed detailed notes, but it feels like Ricky Gibson was at the top of all the young cornerbacks as far as getting times. Yeah, I, I well when you when you look at the second team uh, that was playing, I believe it was Gabe Judy Lolly and Ricky Gibson who were the uh-huh. starting cornerbacks primarily for that second team unit. So that to me was was. Um, Noteworthy? Yeah, was noteworthy For right sure. there. I, I think when you do take a guy like Gabe Judy Lolly, right, you expect that he's going to bring a, a, a high level of experience, of veteran leadership, all those kind of qualities to your team, but then putting it alongside uh, a freshman like Ricky Gibson, I, I think that's definitely noteworthy and definitely something to uh, to watch for uh, as this thing keeps rolling on. And Christian Conyer, obviously, just one play, but had the nice deflection that led to an interception. Yeah, yeah there Cam in Miller, half. certainly Cam Miller in a, a right place, right time uh, <laughs> interception right there. So, no doubt about it. Man, there's a lot of things to, to talk about with the spring game, and we will continue talking about them throughout the summer as well, and uh, and especially some of the things that were said after the game by either the coaching staff or the players. But at the end of the day, we got to realize that this is just the spring game, right? In a lot of ways, what they were doing on the field were, were more of an indication or more of something that the coaching staff wanted to see as opposed to things that we can take away that is specifically indicative of of the 2023 season coming up. I mean, just thinking about it, I I think that even though we won't see a full scrimmage in the fall, we will be able to have more takeaways from these fall practices that we go and watch here in just a couple months than what we saw from the spring combined. But nonetheless, still great to see the players out there on the field, still great to see some of the progression from some of the young players as well, and certainly looking forward to seeing some of Tennessee's veteran players who are not able to go as much during the fall, hopefully be able to come back and be on the practice field coming up for fall camp. So that is just a couple months away. Way as we uh, gear up for the 2023 football season. One step closer. Yep. Lincoln Park says it best. One step closer. One step closer for Tennessee football. A familiar face also draws one step closer to Knoxville as we flip the script and, ta- and start talking about a little Tennessee basketball news and notes. Ryan, this was uh, pretty newsworthy yesterday as the, the announcement officially broke. But Tennessee got a player from the transfer portal, a guard by the name of Jordan Ganey. And if that name sounds familiar, it should. Jordan's dad is Justin Ganey, who is the associate head coach on Tennessee's roster, right? Or excuse me, on Tennessee's staff. He's been here the last two years under Rick Barnes. So you bring a family connection into Knoxville as really Tennessee basketball's first addition of the offseason. Yeah, it is, and uh, certainly not a surprising one from the time you saw him go into the portal. You knew that was a yeah. guy that uh, Tennessee. You know, Tennessee wanted to be involved with, you know, you figured they'd have a great chance. And like you said, obviously his dad, Justin, is Tennessee's associate head coach. Not to belittle the impact that had, but Justin Ganey kind of took a, a, a step back. You know, he was not involved in his recruitment. It was really Greg Polinski was uh, the main as- assistant coach. And then Rick Barnes uh, was obviously very involved there too. But uh, Tennessee adds a guy with two years of eligibility, a uh, 6'4 shooting guard, and, and shooting is, is the name of the game for him. He's, yes. 15 points per game last year, 14 points per game as a freshman at USC Upstate. Uh, he shot 49% from three as a freshman on 4.7 attempts a game, 150 on the season. Then he shot 35% last year, 6.3 attempts a game. That's 203 on the season. And really, as a freshman, he wasn't not – I mean, he's averaged 14 points a game, so he was a big part of the offense. But they had other guys that did a lot of the creating. He got a lot more open shots. This past year, he was kind of the one go-to guy offensively who had to facilitate things, offensively start things. So with that comes having to take some harder shots, and I think you saw the percentages go down, but still a 40% three-point shooter over his first two years of his college career. And uh, I talked to him this morning for a story, and 
Uh, you kind of talked about that growing as a guy that can create his own shot, and, and you would think at Tennessee he'll have to do a lot less of that and should be able to get a lot more open catch-and-shoot threes, which he shot at an extremely, extremely high level his first two years in college. Yeah, you know, six foot four, 175 pounds, but one of the other aspects to his game that I think is is nice to see, especially when you can watch the highlights, as we have up on RockyTopInstar.com, he's got a little bit of a clutch gene to him, uh, I think. Yeah, when you look back at, at the Big South Tournament, uh, just going back a couple months ago or so, you had a play where he scored back-to-back clutch shots. I believe the first one was a three when USC Upstate was down 76-71. So that brought them up to 74-76. to And then Justin Ganey hits a big uh, three, another big three-pointer. Jordan Ganey, excuse me. After, the, uh, after a turnover by Gardner-Webb, steps back behind the three-point line, hits another one to put uh, USC Upstate 77-76 to and the win right there. So a little bit of a clutch shot in his, uh, in his jeans as well. I think that's always good. Yeah, no, he hit some big-time shots in the Big South Tournament this year. Obviously, the game winner uh, being the notable one. And yeah, I think with any time when a big school gra- or adds a, a transfer from a smaller school, it's like how does said player at smaller school adjust to not being the go-to offensive option? Right. That's always one of the biggest questions and not having the ball in their hands a ton. And I think gaining a skill set uh, should make it where he's able to I don't know if Excel excels maybe a little bit of a strong word, but I don't worry about that adjustment for him because I think he has a skill set that he can play well without the ball. To me, the question mark for him is uh, just, one, where does he fit in in what is kind of a, becoming a crowded Tennessee backcourt? He's not a ball handler, so he's not a point guard, which is really where the opportunity is with Santiago Vescovi coming back. That's going to take a lot of his opportunities away. Obviously, Jemai Meshack you would expect to be ahead of him. And then Freddie DeLeon is, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out, but he's a really, really talented guy too as he comes into his retro yeah. freshman year. So where does he factor in? And then the defensive aspect is, again, kind of another question you have when these guys transfer up. How athletic are they? Uh, how can they make their mark on a defensive end? And, and I think for Tyreek Key, all his struggles this year, that was something he did well. He made the most of his athleticism that was a little bit limited uh, at the SEC level. I think Jordan Ganey's athleticism will be a little bit limited at the SEC level. Can he overcome that and still be a good defender like Tyreek Key will? If he does that, I think he'll have opportunities to be at the very least a role player on next year's team. And if not, just like anybody, if you don't play defense for Tennessee, you're going to have a hard time finding the court. That's exactly right. That That is great analysis right there of Tennessee's newest Jordan Ganey, that is the guard from USC Upstate, and he will have, what, two years of eligibility eligibility. after spending the first two years of his career at uh, SC Upstate. So that was kind of the appetizer, right, on on Tuesday. Tuesday That happened Tuesday afternoon, then right smack dab in the middle of Tennessee's baseball game yesterday when, well, frankly, Tennessee fans needed a little bit of good news if they were watching the game. 1,000%. The big news and the good news happened for Tennessee basketball as Santiago Vescovi went to Instagram and revealed that he would be returning to Tennessee for his final season of collegiate basketball. He will be returning for his super senior season. And, man, this is a gigantic get for Tennessee basketball. As we've talked about over the last couple weeks, we've known of question marks on the roster. Well, we had one of those question marks disappeared just about a week or two ago as Olivier Kamwa entered the portal. And we don't exactly know what's going to happen after that, but that was at least a step in a certain direction that we could take uh, and and really kind of process through. Now, one of the other big notes comes down as Santiago Vescovi announces his return to Knoxville. Ryan, what does this do for Tennessee? Being able to combine him with Sakai Ziegler in the backcourt and really have that be Tennessee's 
uh, driving force heading into the 2023 season? It just solidifies, I think, so much uh, for Tennessee next year. And uh, obviously, Ziegler is back. There is, you know, questions with the the knee injury coming off that. But, you know, Tennessee really returns their two best players with Ziegler and Vescovy coming back. And I think Vescovy was their best player last year. And uh, it just does. So if, let's say, Sonio Vescovy doesn't come back. You start looking at Tennessee's roster, and it's like, whew, where does yeah. the where does the offense come from? Yeah, not that there's no talent on it, and not that you know. I, I think without Vescovy, you look at Tennessee, and you're like, that's probably a team that's going to range from the bubble to you know maybe being like a seven seed at its ceiling, and obviously they could have added more pieces that change that. With Vescovy back, I, I think you look at a team that's probably going to be kind of a middle seed again, right there in, in that four or five, six range, seven range, and he, it just does so much the way he makes teams work to defend him and that can open up things for players around him it's just massive massive news and especially uh before the Jordan Ganey commitment you looked at the guys that Tennessee had coming back besides Ves- Ves- not knowing about Vescovy and there wasn't a whole lot of shooting so yeah. I think it, it's another huge thing from that end uh to give Tennessee a, a little bit more dynamic scoring options and uh, it's yeah I mean you returning a guy that's back-to-back all SEC first team so it's that that says a lot, and then you know maybe doesn't say at all, but it, it says a lot about how big it is for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head in every way, pretty much. Like you have said multiple times, you know Tennessee didn't have any shooters coming in, or that looked like they were going to be on the team next year. Now they have the best shooter they've had in the past couple of years, and Santiago Vescovi returning. Can't overstate how big this is for Tennessee, and just you know it takes the pressure off to ha- have to add offensive firepower, if you will. So with those two, with Vescovy announcing his return to Tennessee and yep. him staying, we also know that Jordan Ganey is joining the Tennessee team. There's a little bit of roster confusion, the number games. I, I, I would say, if you will. The number games are really yeah. starting to add up. Can you kind of give me the latest on just where things stand for Tennessee basketball as far as the number games for the roster? Well, okay, I guess one thing I want to clear up to start, because I think there's been some confusion about this. The seniors, if they come back, they, their scholarships count. They count against the 13 that you have. That first year after COVID, those guys they did not count against the roster numbers. So you could have, in theory, had 15 guys on scholarship sure. if you had the seniors line up that way. That's not the case. These guys can come back for a super senior season, but they count against your scholarship limit. So with all that being said, uh, the three kind of big guys that we don't haven't announced what they're going to do yet, Josiah Jordan-James, Euros Plofsic, and Julian Phillips. Okay. Tennessee, if all those guys, you know, just say, I haven't said anything, so let's just assume they're coming back. Tennessee okay. would currently be at 15 scholarships. So Which they, is two over. Two over the limit. Okay. So they, you know, of the all the guys that you would say right now, okay, they're going to be on Tennessee's roster next year, two of them have to be gone. Now I think those three guys that we, we just I just mentioned, you know, I, I would guess right now that none of them would be back. Uh, and the, I doubt I would be shocked if multiple of them are back. So sure. you're probably going to do those num- get those numbers figured out just from those guys, just from the super seniors, just from Julian Phillips, who obviously has a chance to go be uh, a pick in the NBA draft, probably in the second round. So that the numbers will probably figure themselves out that way some. And then obviously you always have the uh, option of players uh, entering the transfer portal too that Tennessee kind of pushes out. So, you, so it's mainly looking at those three guys, though, and then from there you can essentially kind of figure out different directions. But ultimately it's looking at Julian Phillips, Josiah Jordan-James, and Euros Plavsic as, hey, if those three guys all come back, you're two over. If one of them comes back, you're pretty much good. If none of them come back, what, you have one spot have to one work spot. with, correct? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the baseline of they'll, they'll figure out the numbers to me with those three guys, meaning yes. they'll either 
get even at 13 or they'll have a scholarship available at 12 and then it'll kind of be what Tennessee looks like uh, in if there's a late preps guy they want to add, which they've done a lot of years, or yeah. if there's a transfer portal guy and they need, if they, you know, they find someone they really like and they want a scholarship, then you know they'll encourage somebody to, to hit the transfer portal that's on the roster right now. You may not know know this, but do you, do you have any kind of expectation about when these announcement could come down? Is there kind of a, a time where it has to be before? Do you have any kind of uh, idea, or again, maybe you don't know in, in specific, but do you have any kind of expectation about when these might come out? Yeah, the in, there's an NBA draft. There's a deadline for when you have to decline uh, or declare. Uh, I want to say that's like the middle of May. Uh, no. Okay, it's April twenty third. April twenty third. So four days. So four days from now. You'll with Julian Phillips. You know you would expect to. Four you know, days. I would, from I would be shocked if Julian Phillips doesn't at least enter his name. You know how you can enter and still come back. Yeah, like Joe and Santi did last yes, year. Yes, exactly. And Josiah has said he's going to do that, so he hasn't made an announcement, but I'm sure he will do that because he has said that he plans to do that. And again, with Julian Phillips, I think that will be the case. So you'll hear something uh, on them in, in the next four days. That might not even be official word. You know, the way they phrase that, they might say, keeping my options open to coming back. Uh, but you'll have a little bit better idea, uh, I think, with those guys. And then uh, with Euros Plastic, I you know, I have no idea. He's obviously yeah. not going to go play in the NBA, so I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what when uh, when word will come come down from him about him. Yeah, man, it's really fascinating just seeing yeah. kind of how the carousel turns right now. As like you like you were saying, Ryan, Tennessee handles the numbers the numbers game. They're bringing in guys from the transfer portal. They're figuring out which of the seniors are going to come back and stay. There's a lot Same. of uh, pieces happening right now, but. At the same time, though, other teams in the SEC are loading up their pieces as well. I mean, just look at Arkansas and what Eric Musselman continues to to live and die out of the transfer the portal and, and what he's the bringing importer, in. That's right. That's that's a funny nickname. So there's certainly a lot of uh, movement happening in these early stages of the of the SEC basketball season, and Tennessee is uh, doing what they can to keep up. And I guess we'll find out if they're doing enough to keep up here over the next of the course of the next couple months. Yeah, really, over the course of next season is when we'll. A hundred percent, no. Yeah. You know, obviously, Tennessee. You know, I, I know a lot of fans want them to be more active in the transfer portal, and really, the only, the thing that I don't understand is why they haven't been more aggressive pursuing a point guard, especially when you talk yeah. about Zakai Ziegler coming off a torn ACL. But besides that, you know, Tennessee doesn't want to build their roster through the portal. Yeah, if they can get guys, that's great. It's not how Rick rolls. That's just yeah. Rick wants to. Rick Barnes wants to recruit guys out of high school and develop them, that's and that's really, that's how they want to go about things. It's. You're not going to see Tennessee even attempt to do anything like what Arkansas does. And that's not to belittle anyone's approach. You know, Arkansas has had a lot of success doing that. And, you know, it's, if I had had the success, success Eric Musselman had building through the portal, I'd keep building through the portal. And, uh, you know, if I, Rick Barnes obviously is, wants to build it through high school. And uh, I think from someone who follows the team or if you're a fan, that's how I would want to do it. I always like what you always say with Kentucky and all the one and done. It's like you get to watch those guys for a year. Yeah, I think it's a lot more fun watching a guy like Jemiah Meshack develop into, you know, potentially an All SEC guy if he takes another step next year. Well, Same with Tobey Awaka, Jonas Adu, Zakai Ziegler. So it's just different philosophies. I think funny enough too. I mean, you look at just the the coaches at the University of Tennessee, and besides what Kelly Harper did last year with the with the mass, you know, transfer portal talent that she brought in with with all those girls. The other coaches at Tennessee don't really certainly have the philosophy of rather development over transfer portal additions 
no matter if you're looking at Josh Heupel, Rick Barnes, yeah. or Tony Vitello, I think each one of them, whether they've stated it or whether you can just look at their history of what they've done at Tennessee, I think all three of those guys have worked better with guys that they've been able to develop throughout their system on a multi-year basis. And I guess Josh Heupel is the one that we haven't seen the most out of, right. but we specifically, I specifically remember going back to December and somebody asked yeah, me he's, he's during the it. early signing period, he said, hey, we want to develop guys. We understand that the transfer portal can can be important to bring in and, and be a Band-Aid for a couple pieces, like tight end, right, which is yeah. what Tennessee did this year with McCollin Castles. But offensive at the same tackle. time, Offensive tackle. But at the same time, he's saying, man, but we want to develop players. You look at Rick Barnes, and, and I think that his most successful players have been guys that you've been able to see develop throughout the system. You talk about Jemai Meshack right there. and then Santiago t- Vescovi is one of those there guys. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Tony Vitello as well. I think that you know, you've know you seen a little bit of transfer portal uh, uh, struggles maybe this year out of the players that they got, but man, the guys that, that really have been successful for Tony Vitello are the ones that have been with him for a long time and who have been able to develop under his system for a long time. So I think really you just look at the University of Tennessee and how for the most part, uh, especially with the men's sports, they, they certainly rely on uh, high school development more than transfer portal for the most part. Yeah, it's building the roster through high school recruits and development and then filling holes with, yes, that you exactly. have. And, and certainly Vitello probably has added the most, you know, per the per capita, whatever, the most guys out of the portal of those when you look at this year. But it was also – that was also because they lost, lost all eight, all eight of their starters. Yeah, how many of those starters that left were transfer portal guys? That's a good question. Seth, no, I don't think transfer portal. Well, there were a junior, lot of a lot of baseball college. is JUCO, right? Sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, Seth yes. Stevenson was a JUCO guy, and Obviously, I wouldn't necessarily count. I maybe you guys do, but I I don't. I wouldn't count that yeah, the that's, same way. That's different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, Especially if they went to JUCO college, like near going from, from Kansas yeah. to Tennessee is different from going from you know. Walter State, Walter yeah, State Walter State, or, State or even know, I think Stevenson was at a Texas Hutchinson college, which or whatever. Is the same, but Al, Al Solari was one of yeah. uh, Vitello's first guys. In Tennessee baseball, they recruit junior college ranks very hard. Yeah. And junior, uh, co- there's a, junior college baseball is is high level stuff. Yeah. So it's a lot of programs. Speaking too. of baseball, what did you guys talk about on the podcast today? How good they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How good yeah. they're playing. Yeah, not very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not very. In not fact, very. That's the opposite. A, yeah. That's a question to be answered. Is it time for people to hit the panic button yeah. uh, on Tennessee baseball? Yeah. Oh, that was in unison. Break the panic button. That, oh, oh. So in case of emergency, break. Yes. Uh, you take the little hatchet that's on the side of the, the fire extinguisher and you break that glass. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I even rattled Jack by my take at the end of the podcast. And it's not like this is just a fact. This is just my opinion. But I think there's a better chance they don't make the SEC tournament than there is that they make the NCAA tournament. Wow. It's wow. a crazy statement, isn't it? It is. But it, it sounds wild. a lot more radical when you hear it than you, you actually gonna, start looking at the standings no, and thinking about it. I'm yeah. going to go back, and, and I'm I'm absolutely going to listen to y'all's baseball podcast like I do every time because, to me, it's the best information that you can find on Tennessee baseball inside the city. But, man, just real quick, I mean, is is it coaching? Is it players? Like, what what is the what is the thesis of, of what's – What's if you can if you can ball it all up in a one or two yeah. small sentences? What is the thesis to to what's been going on the last couple of weeks? It's so funny you asked that because that was like my last question to Ryan. I'm like, yo, we talked about the defense, we talked about the pitching, we talked about the offense, but what is it? So Ryan, I'll is it coaching or players? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's both. I mean, obviously the buck stops with the coaching and right. Tony Vitello, but it's like Tony Vitello can't. Can't, you got to expect if you're Tony Vitello, you got to expect the guys to make routine plays on the field. Sure. And uh, so I, I think you know that 
from that aspect, that's what I would say. And, you know, you said summation of what's the problem. I, I think it's a team that doesn't have a lot of confidence and they don't have a lot of grit and they don't have a ton of leadership is kind of what I'd say, which no, those aren't good problems to have. No. No dogs, no as dogs. Pat McAfee would no say. Dogs. No dogs. At least no not dogs. enough dogs. Maybe a couple of them, maybe, but yeah, maybe. Not, not enough. Not a whole pound. No. Certainly not. <laughs> not a whole dog pound. No. no. Not enough. Man, there's a lot of things going on right now on the Rocky Top Insider Network. Not only did that baseball podcast just release today on Wednesday morning, but also the Press Pass, which you're listening to right now, it also went up right alongside it. Were that the only two were those the only two podcasts that we released on Wednesday? No. Wrong. They were not. We also released RTI Pancakes and Bacon, the wonderful new show that we've added to the RTI network. That is with VFL Kyler Kerbison and Reed Bacon. They are also giving their breakdown of the 2023 Tennessee football orange and white game, but from a little bit of a different perspective. Jack and I were up there in the press box. Ryan watched it from TV. But Kyler Kerbison gives you just kind of that feel of what it was like to be a former player playing in that spring game and then kind of what his takeaways were from that as well. So that is a wonderful podcast to go listen to. You can either go listen to the the podcast version or the uh, video version, which is live right now on YouTube as well. So make sure you're just staying connected with the RTI network all around. There are a lot of big things going right now. But otherwise, make sure you're staying connected with Racket Top Insider on all different social media platforms. That would be Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. We are at Rocky Top Insider on all five of those platforms, and we will see you on each one with daily updates, daily content, daily postings for each one. Guys, next week, I, I figure that, you know, things are going to slow down a little bit right now, especially with football now in the rear view. We'll kind of continue to track what happens with basketball and Tennessee football recruiting and whatnot, but what do you say next week we come back and we really talk about the NFL draft? Oh, yeah. A lot of players oh, yeah. that Tennessee yeah. has uh, that are projected to uh, to get taken at some point next week. The draft starting on Thursday, April 27th. So what do you say we come back maybe next Tuesday or Wednesday or so? We talk about the NFL draft. We figure out where these guys are going to go even before they get drafted by their teams. How does that sound to you? Sounds amazing. I love the NFL draft. That's Jack's, that's so, Jack's forte so right there. It is. That's his bread and butter. smiling ear to ear when you mention it. So I'm going to have to do some research and see what make some more predictions about landing spots outside of Justin and Hooker. Yeah, there's a lot of guys to talk about here, yeah. and certainly a, a lot of big names for Tennessee. You know, it's almost like Tennessee was ranked number one in the country at some point last year <laughs> with all the you don't say. players that are projected for the first couple rounds of the NFL draft. So we'll break it all down next week. I think that sounds like a great plan to kind of continue the football season now in the post-spring era. But until then, guys, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Hey, thanks for sticking along, and thanks for holding through. Man, it's spring, so we're going to have a little bit of sickness in the air, but hopefully next week we'll come back, and I'm going to say this for myself, hopefully I am back to 100%, but guys, thanks for holding down the fort today. You guys have killed it with back-to-back podcasts today on a Wednesday morning. We're going to get all of it up in the on the airwaves and let the people hear it. It's going to be good stuff. Rick, you are too modest. Talk about powering through. You powered through, yeah. my friend, of all people, to power through. How, how long have we been going? 40 minutes or so? You yeah, are we're pushing through. an hour at some point. Oh, well, there you I'm go. Go Even better. To- Take an hour long nap after this. I am. I am Rick the spent. Beast Butler. Man, we got a lot of good stuff going on with the RTI network, especially with these guys right here, right across the table. That is once again Jack Foster. You can go and follow him on Twitter at Jack Foster Media. That is Ryan Shumpert to my right. If you want to follow him, you can do that at rshump00 on Twitter. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But of course, make sure you're just checking out 
www.rockytoppensetter.com each and every day for your Tennessee news, notes, and content. Otherwise, we're going to get out of here. Man, it's been a big-time episode talking about not only Tennessee basketball news, but breaking down a little Tennessee football orange and white game as well. We will see you back for the next one next week when we talk all things NFL draft. You won't want to miss it. We're going to tell you where the guys are going even before they do. Thanks so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. For Jack Foster, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Arte Press Pass, and we'll see you back next week.